Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 22, verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Holiness and graciousness of speech are valuable commodities. James tells us that if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. And similarly, Jesus tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Grace on the lips is the fruit of a pure heart. We cannot speak the words of life if our hearts are blinded by the marks of sin. But let's consider a moment what it means to love purity of heart. The, the proverb says, he who loves purity of heart. What does that mean? It means that you must first learn what purity is. In other words, you must become a student of God's word. But more than that, you must then become a student of your heart and apply the, the knowledge of what purity is. This is more challenging than you might know because God's word tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus tells us that out of the heart proceed, uh, the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a man. So though our hearts are desperately wicked, we're not left without hope. What the scriptures teach about purity of heart is that it is possible, and it comes with humility. Just prior to Jeremiah's verse that I read earlier, that the heart is deceitful above all things, we read this from Jeremiah, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. The difference between purity and the defiled is the difference between pride and and humility. And he who loves purity becomes a practitioner or somebody who, who, who practices humility. And this is what bears fruit in your life. Where does fruit come from? From the heart. Where does gracious speech come from? From the heart. If you want to become perfect, and if you desire to be precious in the sight of the king, then humble yourself Confess your heart's deceitfulness and cast yourself at the mercy of the only one who can cleanse your sins. It's worth it because there's much profit in the friendship of the king. His promise is mercy and eternal life and blessing and honor and grace. And moreover, his word stands forever. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
This reminds us all of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel as we pray to God. Sunday. We are starting the last chapter of the book of Acts. And we've been in this book for a year and a half now, if you haven't noticed. It's been a while. More than that, we get to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, a glorious holiday in which we look to our God with gratitude in our hearts, because he has provided all things for us. He's given us the book of Acts. He's given us salvation. He's given us the church calendar. And if you'll notice on the front of your bulletins, today is Christ the King Sunday. And what that means is that we are at the end of the church calendar. This is the last Sunday of Trinity season, the longest season in the church year, and the last Sunday of the church year. Next week we'll be beginning the season of Advent. And we call it Christ the King Sunday because in this we recognize His authority and look forward to His continuing victory and dominion through history. It's at the end of the church year because we're always looking forward to His glory and His dominion. And it is certainly appropriate that we are in the last chapter of Acts this morning, in Acts 28. The message today is about God's salvation for the Gentiles, or God's salvation for the world. His salvation is big. It's huge. The book of Acts is about the expansion of the kingdom of Christ. And moreover, this is great cause to give thanks to God for the miracle of salvation. That he took us, dirt, miserable worms, sinners, those who were against him, and changed our hearts, and gave us new life, and gave us the power to live in his service, to fulfill the law by grace through his spirit. That is a powerful miracle because we can know God and serve Him with faith, hope, and love. We start this morning with Paul as a prisoner, just freshly preserved by God with all of his shipmates from a terrible storm. They're shipwrecked on the island of Malta, which is 50 miles south of Sicily, off the coast of Italy. They're on their way to Rome. And the first thing they encounter there are hospitable natives. Acts 28, verses 1 through 6. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. Because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, 
yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So Paul meets some friendly natives. They're hospitable and kind. They start a fire and they show unusual kindness. Uh, that word translated unusual kindness is philanthropia. It means, uh, or we get our word philanthropy from it. It's brotherly love. Uh, so these, these survivors are shown this uh, hospitable, generous, kind love by these natives. Uh, the, the word natives is, comes from the word barbaroi, which we get barbarians from, but uh, it's, it, when we think barbarians, we think wild men living in the bush. Uh, it wasn't that kind of barbarian. In the Greek and Roman world, when they said uh, barbarians, they meant non-native Latin speakers or non-native Greeks. Um, and so, so these natives, while not Romans uh, or Greeks, were uh, from Malta, and they spoke the, the language of Maltese. And uh, they were idol worshippers, they were pagans, and, but God's common grace was alive among them. They, 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 they recognized the distress of these, ship, of these uh, survivors of the shipwreck. They, they'd been on this, at, at the mercy of this storm for, for weeks now. They had been fasting for, for weeks. Uh, they just had a, a meal, but uh, the ship got beat up and they had to, to, to swim to make it to shore. And as these uh, drenched and tired and exhausted men arrive on the shore, the, the natives recognize their need. It's cold, it's rainy, it's the, it's the winter time. And the natives light a fire for them. And, uh, and, and then we have this remarkable episode of Paul and the serpent. But first notice that Paul, in the midst of, of this, is active in service. I mean, he's just as much a survivor of the shipwreck. He's just as much exhausted and tired and, and worn out by this long battle against the storm. And yet he's, he's carrying bundles of wood to toss on the fire. And in this, God sends him another trial, and a snake fastens on his arm. There's a tendency among modern interpreters to try and minimize miracles in the Bible. Uh, to, so they, they say, well, fastened on his arm. Maybe the snake just wrapped on his arm. Or maybe it wasn't a poisonous snake, because, you know, there, there are no longer, there, there are no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta. Uh, today, so, uh, they, so they, they, they posit that maybe there was no such thing as a poisonous snake. Uh, what they fail to mention is that the island of Malta is one of the eighth most densely populated places in the world. It's a small island and over 400,000 people live there. And when population increases, snakes disappear. Um, this is, uh, it, there's no way to read the text without it meaning exactly what it means. It wasn't people that weren't native to the land who were wondering if Paul would suffer from this native's bite, from this, this snake's bite. No, it was the people who lived there. They would have known what a poisonous snake looked like. And the one that bit him, they knew to be extremely dangerous. 
So these natives see this happen, and, and they, they right away jump to conclusions. They're like, whoa, this guy is definitely a bad dude. I mean, fate will not allow him to live, because though the sea he escapes, justice, which is another name for one of their gods, will not permit him to live. And they go from judging Paul to worshiping him in a matter of minutes. When they see him not swell up and die, when they see him not fall over dead, they think that he is a god. And this is a case study in the vanity of idol worship. In a world as uncertain as the world that these natives lived in, in a world where you believe the gods are petty, where you think that the gods fight, fight with each other, um, what do you believe and what hope can you have? I mean, it, it's, it, life happens and you have to make sense of it one way or another. So you look to, to, to your gods. You pray to your gods. You serve your gods. But you're at the mercy of them. And, and the, the, the idolatrous, idolatrous gods are notoriously petty. It's, you're always looking over your shoulder, like, making sure. They're trying to appease the gods, making sacrifices. But you, you, can, you, you, can you ever be good enough? And if you, if you please one god, you're probably offending another one. Gloriously, God intervened and brought a new message of life to these poor lost souls. Today's Christ the King Sunday, in the passages we're reading in the Bible, Jesus created the world, the world was created for Him, and it belongs to Him. Uh, we should not be afraid of things in the world, because Jesus is Lord over the world. We should not be afraid of the miracles we read about in Scripture. They're proof of God's glory and His power. We shouldn't try to explain them away. The purposes, the purposes of miracles are to establish the truth and to, and to establish the witness of God. We saw this in the life of Jesus. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And it wasn't just in the life of Jesus. It was in the life of the prophets all through the Old Testament. And when Jesus sent out the 70, in Luke chapter 10, he tells us this, as the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, Jesus, said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And so we see miracles. And, and what Jesus says here is powerful because he's saying, yes, yes, you have power in my name to be witnesses for me. And if you're being faithful to me, and if you're serving me, I will protect you. And miracles will happen for your sake and for your powerful witness. But he says, don't rejoice in that. I mean, that's me working through you, and that's good. But don't rejoice in that. 
Rejoice in the miracle of salvation. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is the true miracle. That is glorious. Jesus reiterates the promise of protection in the giving of the Great Commission at the end of the book of Mark. He says in Mark chapter 16, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So here we see the promises of protection and power that God gives to his servants. And we see the wonder of salvation. When we look at the false gods of this world, there's none that can compare to the true God and his power. To the true God and his son, our king, the Lord, Jesus Christ. When it's a question of idolatry versus Christ... Christ overcomes every time, and his dominion spreads. And now we have another episode on the island of Malta with miracles, verses 7 to 10 in chapter 28. And in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the land, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Again, we have the gospel sustained by miracles. Paul's shown hospitality by Publius. And he heals Publius' father. And then the people have faith. They believe. They bring their sick to him, and their, and their sick are healed. Paul's witness was powerful, and his ministry was well received. And the Maltese honored and respected him and his traveling companions even going so far as to provide their needs for travel. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. I mean, they, they, they shipwrecked on this island. All their goods were gone. And yet they recognized the value of the message of the gospel. It was a message of life. It brought healing. It, 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 Christ is more valuable than goods. Goods are temporary. Christ brings eternal salvation. So the narrative in chapter 28 now goes on to, goes to the trip to Rome. And we read verses 11 to 13. And there's a map in your bulletins, and you can follow along in the map. 11 to 13. And after three months, uh, this would have been February or March of AD 60, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Puteoli. 
So, uh, again, we, we, we got traveling here, and this, this is, we've seen a lot of traveling. With Luke likes to travel, he likes, he likes the details of, of shipping in the Mediterranean. He's a detail guy. This is proof, again, of, of the truth of the message that, that Theophilus had heard. Um, Paul's mission to go to Rome is nearly complete. From Puteoli, they travel by land to Rome. God has been very faithful and gracious to Paul and his companions ever since he first told him in prison in Jerusalem that he said, remember, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and, and, um, and Jesus appears to him in a vision and says, be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer. You know, he's in prison. You know, the, the Jews are attacking him. Be of good cheer. For you must witness for me in Jerusalem as you've done in, in, in Rome, as you've done in Jerusalem. He's, Jesus is saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he's saying, and I've got you know, marching orders. You've got more to do. And he promises Paul's safety, that he's going to get to Rome. And this, this story has been all about him getting safely to Rome. And now, um, and, and he was faithful to Paul in prison in Jerusalem. Um, he was faithful on the ship in the midst of the storm. He's faithful to Paul these, these months on the island of Malta. And now we see that he's faithful to Paul in getting him finally to the, to, to, to the, to the land of Rome, to Italy. And now here in Puteoli, on the way to Rome, Paul finds great encouragement with the saints. Verses 14 and 15. Where we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum. And three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God. And took courage. So Paul is. This is um, interesting. Interestingly, Paul. This 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 road from Puteoli to Rome was was the, the road that that victorious Roman uh, commanders would take in their victory marches after after winning wars overseas. And so this this was in many ways, and it reads like a, like a, a parade. Paul's on his way to Rome. The Christians come out to greet him, and he is—he's—he he's, receives courage. He takes courage, and he's grateful to God because he can see the support—the support that God has for him. And at the end of his voyage, as he's come to Rome, we see Paul's preferred treatment. Verse 16. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So this is a victory march. Paul remains in the custody of Rome. He's still a prisoner. But he's an honored prisoner. He's given special treatment. He's given leeway. Paul's power and his witness has been recognized by his jailer by Julius, the centurion, and his soldiers over the past four months that they lived in close proximity to him. He was the means of their salvation. He is the reason that they are alive. He is the reason that they were given the provisions necessary for the trip from Malta to Rome. Paul has a message of grace for the Gentiles. And it's powerful to save. 
the Maltese. It's powerful to save the sailors and the soldiers. It's powerful to save the world. So of course they give him preferred treatment. They know that there's no good reason for him to be in prison. Remember, that's the, the, that's the conclusion that Felix and Festus came to. But they didn't know what to do with him. So they give him preferred treatment. He gets to be with his friends. He gets to preach freely. He's given protection from the Jews. And he's given travel to Rome. And he's given the opportunity to bear witness before Caesar. And now we ask why. Why, why? Why does Luke tell us about Malta and serpents and about this trip to Rome? And, and what's Luke's point in the narrative of the book of Acts? And, and the first thing we need to look at is that this narrative is huge. I mean, in this, just this subplot, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, right? So this subplot of Paul's journey from his arrest to Rome. This happened way back in chapter 21. Eight, we've spent eight chapters. This is spanning three years of Paul's life, learning many details about the way Paul finally gets to Rome. And the opposition of the Jews has been front and center. Remember, they, they attempted to seize and stone him in the temple. They accused him before, before Lysias, the centurion in Jerusalem. Uh, they tried to pull him apart in, in the middle of a court proceeding. They, they had a plot to murder him in transit, and they accused him before Felix and before Festus. Uh, the unbelief of the Gentiles has also been part of the story. Felix and Festus didn't turn him free. The centurion Julius didn't uh, uh, listen to his advice. He didn't stay on the island of Crete when Paul warned him. The actions of the sailors and of the soldiers in the midst of the storm. There's Gentile unbelief. But nevertheless, we see that God invariably controls the situation. The Holy Spirit is in control. And God brings Paul safely to Rome. So why is Luke telling us all about that? It's a big story. I mean, this is a big chunk of the Bible. Uh, and the narrative is even bigger than that, because we can really look at this as, as the conclusion of Luke's two-part series, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. We know it is... Uh, we, we know this book is, is Luke and Acts, and together they comprise nearly a third of the New Testament. Nearly a third of the entire New Testament is written by Luke. And so we are not here by accident. So what is the purpose of all of this story? And Luke tells us, at the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, he says this, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. 
So Luke says, I'm writing this to tell you the truth. I know this history, and you may know it too, because I'm going to share it with you. And what is that account? In the book of Luke, we read about the story of the birth and life and murder of the Son of God by the Jews. And his victory through resurrection and his glory in the ascension. At the end of Luke, Jesus rises to heaven. And in the beginning of Acts, Jesus rises to heaven again. And in the beginning of Acts, Luke gives us a hint about all those things of what Theophilus had heard. We read, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So this, the whole book of Luke is about the beginning of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Where he came from and how he got to be where he is. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he said, this is Jesus, and Jesus was lifted up on high to be God's. Son and the King, all authority was given to him. And then, and then Paul said, and then and Luke says at the beginning of Acts, and now Jesus gave commandments to his apostles. And I told you what Jesus began to do. Now I'm going to tell you how Jesus continues to work in the world. And, and what commandments did Jesus give to his apostles? Well, that's exactly where, where Luke goes next in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. First commandment, wait for me. Don't go forward. Do not leave Jerusalem without the power of God. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait on the deliverance of God. So that's the first commandment. Therefore, continue on in Acts chapter 1. When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the command from Jesus is wait for the Holy Spirit. The apostles do understand this is a kingdom thing. They understand that the kingdom is coming, that Jesus is Lord, that he's been resurrected from the dead. The victory is already in process. They understand that, but they don't understand how it works. And he says, you need the Holy Spirit to understand how it works. But the second command is, you shall be witnesses to me. Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the world. That's why we're spending eight chapters about Paul going from Jerusalem to Rome. That he may be a witness to the end of the world. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the trajectory of the book of Acts. This is all that Jesus continues to do in the world until the point that we end the book of Acts. And here's the cycle we see repeated over and over and over again in the books of Luke and Acts. We see witness and we see response. We see faith and belief and opposition. So, so what happens? The word of God comes. God sends an angel to Mary. God sends Jesus to the Jews. God sends Peter to the Jews. God sends Stephen to the Jews. God sends Paul to the Jews. And, and every time they go, every interaction they have, they bring the word of God. They bring a witness of God's work in the world. And that witness has an effect. It brings salvation. And it brings opposition. There's faith and unbelief. So that's, that's the first two-thirds of the cycle. Because after we see the, the salvation and the opposition, we see God's vindication. So we have witness, salvation or opposition, and vindication from God. Is the gospel true? Yes. If the gospel is true, those who believe are saved, and those who disbelieve suffer God's punishment. The books of the good Dr. Luke are about God sending salvation for the world. In our text this morning, we see its effectiveness yet again among the barbarian peoples. Jesus has victory over idols. But we also see it among the polished and glorious seats of power of Rome. Jesus has victory over idols. He is king. God has established his dominion. Why does Luke give these examples? He does it to prove God's will for the salvation of all men. How does the kingdom of God spread? By the witness of God's servants. Paul tells the gospel wherever he goes. That's how the kingdom is spread. At the end of the chapter, in, in chapter 28... Paul, the next thing Paul's going to do, and then we're going to study this the next time I preach, which is in three, three weeks. Um, uh, Paul brings the gospel to the Jews in Rome. And, and the, the Jews have yet another dispute over whether or not to believe the gospel. So some believe and some disbelieve, and they fight about it. And Paul, Paul says, Isaiah was right. Isaiah was right when he said, hearing you will hear, but not hear. You're going to see the salvation of God and you won't believe it. Right, you can touch it and, you, and you just, you're blind to it. You're dead to it. And he says, therefore, and this is what always riles the Jews up. And this is uh, Acts 28, verse 28. He says to the Jews, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will hear it. The salvation of God is for the world. And the world will hear it. And you can't stand in the way of it. The Jews had an inkling of what Jesus was and what he stood for. 
But they set themselves up in opposition to him. And, and that's what we're going to study in a couple weeks, or in a few weeks. When we wrap up this chapter, but Paul's message is consistent. And he, he, he does not that he doesn't bear witness to the Jews. I mean, every time he goes anywhere, he tells everybody the gospel. He declares that Jesus is Lord. The salvation of God has gone out. It is a fact, and, and God is not waiting on men for the accomplishment of his will. He is working by his own spirit. Because Jesus Christ is king, his salvation is real, and it is for you. Jesus' witnesses persevere by faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God vindicates them. All Jesus' enemies will be overcome, and we as his people are left with nothing but gratitude for the glorious message of the gospel. Give thanks to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Jesus is King. God has ordained Him and given Him all authority in heaven and earth. But we must never forget his example for us. He died for us. His ruling is by humility and grace. His authority is stamped in sacrifice. As we come to this meal, we participate in his death. We are reminded of the suffering nature of service. Paul went through the beatings the stonings, the imprisonments, and the storms. Jesus went through the cross, and the mockery, and the shame. And we must bear our own crosses. It is in love that we overcome evil, not in anger or indignation. But we see here that God vindicates his people. Jesus died. But God raised him up. We all must die. But we look forward to eternal life. And the resurrection of our bodies. Because of the glorious and wonderful promises of the gospel. Jesus died to pay for our sins. And we are forgiven. Let us repent of our sins. And rejoice in his rich salvation. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.